All right. Welcome back to another great episode of The Dan on Top Show. I'm your host, Dan Lukowitz. And today we're joined live in the studio by a very special individual who has contributed tremendously to everything here, especially my show, which is amazing. And we'll get into that in a minute. But before we do, I want to introduce Jess Monticello. Jess is the COO and one of the founders, one of the partners of New Radio Media, also, at, in his words, not mine, a recovering mortgage broker. Jess, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine, actually. Recovering mortgage banker. I've never been a mortgage banker. Ah, recovering mortgage banker. So I want to jump into that, a little bit about mortgage banking and mortgage brokerage and, and the difference. But before we do, I, I, I'd be remiss without giving you a proper introduction, letting you introduce yourself. So if you could tell our viewers, who is Jess Monticello? Uh, just the guy who uh, loves this business, loves the business of streamcasting. Uh, actually, I've had a show on, here on NRM called Baseball Mainly. I love baseball. I'm a father. I have, uh, I've been married for 49 years. I have a wow. 21-year-old son that loves baseball, and I love watching him play. And sometimes he comes and watches me play just so he can make fun of me. <laughs> uh, spent about uh, 40 years in the mortgage banking business. Wow. And uh, now I'm uh, in the streamcasting business. One time I was pastor of a, a little church here in really? Royal Oak, and uh, so I've, I've, you know, I've been been a lot of things and moved around a lot. As my favorite cousin, uh, Monsignor Robert Monticello says, we Monticellos have sand in our shoes, <laughs> meaning we move around a lot. Sure, sure. That's wonderful. Thank you for taking the time to be on the show. And really, even before that, thanks for supporting what I do. I mean, my life has changed drastically because of new radio media and because of these shows. I went from someone who was the traditional thousand cold calls a month in the office, you know, nine to five or sometimes eight to six, glued to a, a phone and a computer, making these one-on-one -on -one interactions, reaching out to an investor, reaching out to a broker, one call at a time, one interaction at a time. And it really wasn't until I got super active on LinkedIn, which is a great social media platform, and then started having my own show that I turned the tables in two ways. Number one, I was able to make it a one-to-many, right? Because this show has viewers all over the sure. world. And number two, now people were seeing my content and reaching out to me for me to help them. So that's been incredible. And I think anybody watching this should recognize the value of digital content and working with a company like NRM. So I want to start and say thank you for that. Oh, it's our pleasure having you here. We, we love your show. We love what you're doing. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the main partner uh, here, Paul, uh, he's, he's a real estate guy, so yeah. he gets what you're doing. Yes. Uh, I got a real estate license last year. Haven't used it, but uh, I wanted to learn something. I wanted to figure out some things about, uh, uh, you know, the other side of the business I was in for so long. And, and uh, uh I did learn a lot, and I appreciate what goes on with real estate agents. You know, my uh, my experience with real estate agents, I, I worked for a real estate company as uh, uh, the president and uh, CEO of their uh, mortgage affiliate. And uh, my impression of real estate agents was they drove people around all day uh, looking at houses they weren't going to buy. <laughs> and uh, And then when they did find somebody to buy the house— they couldn't understand why we didn't close the transaction the next day. So um, there's a there's a lot that goes into the real estate business. I, I know you're you're a commercial guy. You know my experience has been with uh, residential. Sure, sure. So talk to us a little bit about that. I want to know 
from your perspective, give us maybe a 30,000-foot overview of how your industry worked, that, that mortgage banking industry. Well, the difference in a, a mortgage banker is someone who has money to lend. And in order to get the money to lend, if you're not a bank, you borrow it. That's called warehouse lending. Sure. So uh, you might go to a bank. Uh, you know, I think the last company I was with, uh, we were with a local bank here, and we had a fifty million dollar line of credit. And you you know you make the loans, but fifty million dollars isn't going to go very far. So those loans are sold into the secondary market, and in order to protect being able to sell those loans at the right price, you make a commitment to sell those loans at a predetermined price in the future. So your risk, while the loan is in process, is that rates change and the borrower doesn't close, or the borrower isn't qualified, they don't close, rates go down and you can't find anybody to fill mm. that hole. So my job, a lot of, a lot of what I've done over the 40 years has been called secondary marketing, where I actually hedge that interest rate risk. And you do that by selling mortgage-backed securities. Okay, so let's. Uh, you said the M backward, so let's go with that. So what is a mortgage-backed security? It's, it's a bond. You know, in my day, you know, when I was a, a youngster, we had something called savings bonds, right? Sure. And they had a set interest rate. It's no different today. With a mortgage-backed security, it is a bond that has a set interest rate. If people are willing to pay more for that interest rate, it effectively has a lower rate. If they're willing to pay less for that interest rate, it effectively has a higher rate. So you would those bonds are sold forward, sold in months coming up. So this is uh, we're we're doing this show right now. It's December. I might sell a bond in February for loans that are going to be closing in January, maybe mm. early February. And I sell them at a predetermined price and rate. Is there a, a general spread that is industry accepted? No. Really? No. That's why you have different rates at different companies. It's all about how much it costs to, to do the loan, how much profit the company wants to make, over and above what it costs, right? It's like any other business. There's a margin. Sure. And uh, uh, as a, a friend of mine who's now passed away, uh, Hugh Ross from Ross Mortgage here in Detroit, he used to say, Jess, we are not intentionally a nonprofit organization. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's any business. You know, you're not in business to lose money. Sure. But you want to do a good job for people at a fair price. And that's always been my feeling in, in the mortgage business is let's take care of the borrower at a fair price. We can't do it at a loss. At least we don't intentionally make a loss. Sure. But that bond is sold forward. We make a commitment to sell that bond to some dealer. Okay. Okay. We're not, we're not in the bond business. We're in the mortgage lending business, right? So we make the loan. We deliver the loan. In this case, let's say Fannie Mae. Deliver it to Fannie Mae. They say, yeah, these loans fit our criteria. That's why the underwriter looks so closely at the loan while it's in process. And then we trade those loans for a bond and immediately give that bond to the dealer who gives us money. So then what does the dealer do at that point? They sell it. To whom? Um, investors. 
So if you have a mutual fund, perhaps, might have Fannie Mae securities in it. Lately, those bonds have been bought by the Treasury, <laughs> and it's called quantitative easing. Easing, exactly. And we heard this week that they're going to taper off their purchase of those bonds, which effectively will be raising interest rates. Can you give me an idea, just roughly speaking, about the price jumps at each step of that way? If we talk about an interest rate, let's say that starts off to the borrower at 3%, can you talk about all of those steps where the actual, you know, when the bond is, is bought and sold and when the mortgage is originated, where all those numbers change? Okay, so if you had a 3% 30-year fixed rate yeah. conventional loan, and there aren't Fannie Mae securities anymore. They're called, uh, I think, uniform mortgage-backed securities. And they're so, they can be either Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. It's all one now because they're under the uh, federal government instead of just being a government-sponsored enterprise. So uh, 3% interest rate. The minimum servicing spread is a quarter of a point. So you've got a bond probably maybe even 2% mortgage-backed security you add that quarter to it, and then, so you're at two and a quarter. Well, that's great, except Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, federal government, wants to make their money on it. They call it a guarantee fee. It used to be very small. Before the mortgage meltdown in 2008 and um, it might be 15 basis points. Today, it might be 75 basis points. It might be a little less than that. Um, but you're probably with a 2% mortgage-backed security plus this guarantee fee plus the cost of servicing the loan. That quarter percent goes to the, the entity or the company that is collecting the payments. Okay, So if that bond is 2% and the, let's say the 2% bond is selling at 101% of the face value, let's say it's a million-dollar bond, you sell a million dollars worth of loans, you get a million $10,000 for that bond. The entity, the company, the mortgage company that's collecting the payments gets a quarter percent of the interest rate every month divided by 12, right? Mm -hmm. Quarter percent annually uh, on the loans they service. So you don't service just one loan. They service billions of dollars worth of sure. loans. You know, a big company, let's say a Chase, Wells Fargo, somebody like that that does a, has huge servicing portfolios. That's, they make money doing that, and they value that quarter. So let's say we got 1% for the 2% security underlying the loan. That quarter might be worth uh, five years. They say this, these loans are going to last on average five years. So they'll factor into their price one and a quarter percent. They'll multiply that quarter times five, one and a quarter. So now that loan is worth two and a quarter. They might buy those loans from brokers. Yeah at maybe 102%, make a quarter. Or they might buy it at one and a half. Depends on their profit margin. Interesting. And then what about all the way down the line? T talk to us about those steps when it works its way to the investor that actually picks up that bond in the end. Well, it, it, it might be in a, you know, you might have a mutual fund, a 401k, whatever. It might be an insurance company that wants to own those bonds to protect uh, their actuarial issues, right? So, so what are they paying for it? Uh, well, it depends on the profit amount that that broker who bought it from me wants to make. Typically, what is that in today's market? Oh, I'll bet it's not much. I'll bet it's a quarter point, half point. Okay. 
but they're selling billions at a time, right? Yeah. It's it's you know, a billion here, a billion there, it starts to add up. <laughs> sure. I mean, this just goes to show you that cash is king, right? Right, right. It's all about how money moves. But our, the way uh, mortgages work in this country, and even commercial mortgage-backed securities work the same way, uh, it's very efficient, right? Sure. It is, it, it, there's all, we do huge volumes. Right. And, and the, there's money available because of that. Where in countries where they just do uh, lending based on deposits in banks— those banks, they get tight. They raise Ooh. their rates way up. And at least there was a time, I don't know how it is in Canada right now, but at one time you could only get an adjustable rate mortgage because they had limited money to lend. That's pretty scary. That, yeah. that to me is very unsettling. Now, let's talk about fractional reserve lending. Okay. Tell me what that means. Okay. So to me, the non-expert at the table, fractional reserve lending meant prior to the CARES Act that for every dollar that the bank was lending out, the Federal Reserve would pump out ninety cents, and the bank would put out ten cents. Yeah, well, that you're talking about uh, the the relationship in a bank between their assets and deposits, and their liability, any other liabilities they have. And deposits are liabilities, right? Sure, those are things they have to pay. Uh, banks are required to have certain ratios mm-hmm. for uh, loan to deposit ratios. Uh, and they're judged on that every quarter. They they have to do a, a call report. Um, but you know as much about that as I do because that's not where I was, right? My job was to protect interest rates based on what I could sell. Sure. And the dealers, when, they, when they're negotiating a price for a bond from you, always tell you why they can't give you the price you want. And, and, <laughs> it's because they need to keep and, more and of it. <laughs> they'll give me some great uh, – business school reason for why they can't pay uh, what I, I want them to pay. And I, my answer was always, well, when you can pay what I'm looking to get, call me. Right. right? It isn't, I, I don't care what your reasoning is. I care about the price. Right. And that was my job. It wasn't, it wasn't about um, some real technical, you know, when I would sell adjustable rate mortgage-backed securities, it's a whole other issue, they would always talk to me about something called the BEAM. I didn't know what that meant. It was uh, something equity, something for mortgages. I, I don't. I didn't, didn't even know what it meant. I just knew. Give me when you get my price, call me. Um, and, and and because I had to be competitive in order to get more loans. Sure. So I I believe just for clarification that when the CARES Act came out, that uh, because of the emergency situation, which uh, in my opinion, had a lot to do with intrabank lending that had gone on prior to, mm-hmm. you know, November, December of 19. The CARES Act, I believe, allowed this emergency 100 to 1 fractional reserve lending. So now banks only needed to have one penny on hand for every dollar that was lent out. And to me, if that's the case, I mean, it makes it impossible for any other you know, private or public institution to ever compete with government-sponsored lending institutions. Would you agree with that? Well, as far as mortgage-backed securities go, as far as mortgage lending goes, um, there are ratios. Like, if, if you are a, um, a savings and loan, you're a savings bank, you're required to lend 65% of all your deposits in uh, housing-related lending. Interesting. Uh, that's a requirement to be an, an SNL. But we, we saw in, during the meltdown before the Dodd-Frank Act and all of that, 
that uh, there it was a wild west. There were no there were there's no oversight. Right, and and we're 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 loosening that again. We are, but there were there are products out there where there was negative amortization allowed for the borrower. The borrowers didn't even know what that no, meant. No, uh, there were there were very lax underwriting standards. So the banks, and ultimately the federal government or the government sponsored enterprise, even the FHA program, they were taking loans for people who were not going to be able to repay. So now it is required that that you demonstrate that the borrower has the ability to repay. It's a it's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there are, are, I'm hearing, does that mean we, we were running out of time? It Am I talking too coming, much? No, you're talking just just the right amount. You're giving so much value. But we are coming to the end. So are there any you know final closing remarks that you want to make on these topics? Well, you know, my, my advice to a borrower yeah. would be not just to look at interest rate, but look at the quality of the lender and how what, how, what kind of job they do and how reliable they are at getting things done. It's a service business as well as a commodity business. No doubt. That's some excellent advice. Lending is a service business, and it's based on relationships, not just interest rates and fixed numbers. Say, listen, Jess, this is awesome. I get to see her in the station all the time. Love what you guys are doing. But to have you here on the show has been a real honor and a pleasure. Well, I hope this wasn't too bad because I, I love talking about this stuff, and most people's eyes just gloss over Well, listen, we're commercial real estate investors and brokers and entrepreneurs, and this is a topic that not many people know about, and certainly most people don't know as much as you do. So I want to thank you on behalf of all of our viewers for spending the time here today with us at New Radio Media, for being on the Dan on Top show, and for adding a lot of value. My pleasure. All right. Well, hey, I'm Dan Lukowitz, your host. We will look forward to seeing you soon.